Lord, it sounded like the church got louder with its praise when we started our foot, when we turned our focus, Lord, in that lyric that says, there's a time where you're going to come. You're going to bring us home. We're going to meet you in the clouds and we will forevermore be with you. It seemed like, Lord, we just got louder. What an exciting moment that will be an exciting, just, it seems like a word for a sporting event. There's no way to describe, Lord, what that moment is going to be like when we see you face to face as you bring us home to be with you. You are worthy. You are worthy, Lord, far beyond what our words in a song um, can declare. So, Lord, in this moment, Lord, still our hearts and help us to know that you are God. Oh God, may you be exalted in the heart and the life of each one that is here as we know you are exalted in the heavens, you are exalted in the earth. And so Lord, may you be exalted at Summit Church this morning through every thought that that rolls through our minds, through every word that is spoken, through all of our interactions with each other. Lord, it's, it's our great desire that we would declare you and make manifest your presence here for people to see that you are alive and you are alive in this church. Now, Lord, uh, may your word be declared and Lord, may it be your word that, that is heard. Open the hearts of each one of us to receive what you have for us today and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go. It's a, we have a bit of a, a shift as we move from chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with me, um, kids are dismissed as you can see and as they know, and I love that they excitedly go um, to be a part of what has been prepared for them. But the Lord has a word for us today, and it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is one of the more famous passages in all of Scripture, and I'm sure if you've ever been to even one wedding, you have heard it um, read, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, at least the first seven verses anyway. And um, I was supposed to preach 1 through 7, but as I continued to spend time in it, I'm like, there is no way I can do justice for verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 if I spend any time on verses 1, 2, and 3, which I believe um, the passage requires, 1, 2, and 3 require more time than if I were to have to preach all of them together. So you'll have to come back next week to hear Jasper preach on what love is. And uh, so here we go. Um, I'd like to share with you Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. Last week at the end of chapter 12, um, Paul says, after he talks to us about these gifts that he has entrusted to the church, um, he ends chapter 12 with, hey, listen, come back next week because I have a more excellent way for us to manifest the Holy Spirit in our church. And Peter who was a man, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ who followed Jesus for three years. 
Um, as the one who declared the first sermon after having received the, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at what we know to be Pentecost, which was, which was the moment the church was established. And after this sermon that Peter preached, uh, the church was established by 3,000 souls that came and they repented and they bowed their knee um, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and uh, began the church. And, and this is what Peter began with his sermon, and, uh, and it's, this is what it says. He, 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 um, he refers to Joel chapter 2 as he quotes him, that in the last days, which began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ is when the last days began, and we are still in them today, some 2,000 years later, we are still in the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I praise God for that moment where he did that. He poured himself out on the disciples. He gave them a sign. He gave the people a sign so that they would listen to what the disciples have to say. 3,000 souls came to the Lord on that mo- in that moment, and, and that began the church age. And so here we are again 2,000 years later, and we look forward to the day where the church age ends, and we are established in eternal relationship, which we are right now, but presence in the eternal presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again. Verse 19 says this, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So 2,000 years later, the church continues to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ looking forward to the day that keeps getting closer and closer and closer where Jesus is going to come back on that great day, and I can't wait for it. And this is Summit's desire. This is the desire of anyone that would call this um, their church home. Verse 21 says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is our mission That's been the mission of the church since Peter spoke the first words that he did in this message, and we continue to to, to declare it today because we know that the Lord is going to return sometime soon. Chapter 12, our, our sermon series is called Empowered, and we know that we as the church are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And to sum up the entirety of the message of chapter 12, you can find it in verse 7 where Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We have been gifted by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives from now until forevermore, the moment we give our lives to Him. We are gifted by His presence, and He has given us each specific gifts that He intends for us to use to show that the Holy Spirit is actively at work in the church body And it's all for the common good of the church. Your gift that you have been given or your gifts that you have been given are not for you. They are for the common good of the church. The common good of the church. That's chapter 12. And then he ends with, 
Now I will show you a still more excellent way. So he turns um, from his corrective focus on the misuse of the gifts, the way the Corinthian church was using them to say, look, there's a better way and I'm going to show you what it is. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, chapter 12, starting today for the next three weeks, chapter 13, empowered by the Spirit through love. Through love. The gifts we're going to learn mean absolutely nothing if they can't be driven and led by a heart that loves Christ and loves others. If we express, if we try and express the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives apart from love, everything we say will be a distraction. Our message will be powerless. And any sacrifice we would make for the sake of God would be completely empty and we would gain absolutely nothing. Love must lead. The exaltation of love over everything is what Paul is going to be communicating in chapter 13, and that's where we start today. You know, it's kind of crazy. Um, as, as, we split, as we split verses 1 through 7 kind of in half, that takes us three weeks, three weeks, right up to the next Sunday being Palm Sunday. And of course, we know the absolute greatest act of love we see when Jesus laid himself down for us, went to the cross, and then we celebrated on Easter Sunday as he was risen from the dead. So it's kinda, it kind of really works out really well um, that we had to split it up. Palm Sunday, then Easter. Uh, Jesus is God's greatest expression of love to us. Okay, so here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Read it with me. If I speak in the tongues... Of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So here's the question that we're going to trust that this passage answers for us today. This is the one that we, we want to answer. Um, what happens when love doesn't lead? Oh. He's, actually, he's actually early. All right, hold on a second. Hold on a second. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, this is where I am, okay? And this, you're supposed to come out oh, of the okay, illustration. Good, good, good. Was I distracting? Very. <laughs> All right, for real, hold on. <laughs> I don't know how to back up here because he's for real early, and I love that he's early because he's intended to be a distraction, all right? So, so look at this. Paul is asking a rhetorical question. I really do mean wait. Paul is asking a rhetorical question. If I am able to speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and here's what we know. Paul has the gift of tongues. He declares it in chapter 14. We know he has the gift of tongues. Now listen, that means that he has today, we have 5,000, over 5,000 languages on our planet today. 
And what he's saying is, if I have the ability to speak in all 5,000 tongues and add to that the gift of uh, uh, the, uh, to be able to speak in an angelic language, if I'm able to do that, which he was able, and I do that without love, my message means absolutely nothing. Now, I want to say something regarding this verse specifically, because if you remember, Paul right now is making a, a clear um, establishment of the purpose of love as it relates to anything we do, okay? Anything we do. There have been those that have clipped this verse and determined, based on what this verse alone has to say, that there may be a, um, an angelic language that a person is able to speak and to, to use, to declare, The two accounts we have in Acts, Acts chapter 2, where we see Peter speaking, and Acts chapter 10, are two examples where we see um, tongues being used, languages that Jews were able to understand as a sign to them that the Holy Spirit has come for the Jews. And then again, in Acts chapter 10, that the Holy Spirit has come also for the Gentiles, This was a sign. These were languages that mankind was able to understand in order to establish that the gospel message of Jesus Christ is for everyone, all right? Paul is not promoting tongues here. Matter of fact, he spent chapter 12, and you're going to hear it again in chapter 14 in a month. He is not not elevating the gift of tongues. He is de-elevating it, if that's a word. So he's trying to take attention away from it. What he is saying in this verse alone is this, that love must lead every message and word that comes out of your mouth. If I have not love, the Corinthians were misusing tongues and it was loveless. So I have a most important message that you need to hear today regarding love. And this is what it is. If you read John chapter 3, verses 16, for God so loved the world that this is what he did. He gave his only son that whoever, whether it's you or your neighbor, would, I can't go anymore. I'm like, this has gone way better than I expected. When a clanging cymbal, a resounding gong comes out, guess what it does? It gets your attention, doesn't it? It gets your attention. It got your attention. But here's what it did. It took away the attention that the message deserved, and the attention was on the individual. What Paul is saying here is, in this singular verse, the message matters more than the messenger. And what the Corinthian church had done was, they put the eloquence of the messenger and how crafty he was before the message itself. Paul is saying, Far be it from us, if we aren't led by the love of Christ in our hearts, the Holy Spirit in us, our temptation will be to place a higher emphasis on the messenger 
and his ability to deliver a message over the message itself. The Corinthians were enamored with eloquence. They wanted the attention that the messenger was getting over the message. The deliverer or the delivery became a distraction. So you start asking the question, I do, where's, what's so dangerous about that? What happens when the messenger's life does not match the message he's declaring? What happens when those become in, in the sanctuary, let's say, become so interested in how good the deliverer of the message is that they start not hearing the message and they become attached to the messenger? When Wendy and I first moved here, in 2001, we went to a church that is no longer a church. It didn't last. Why? Because the gospel was not central. The love of Jesus Christ and those around them became secondary. They fell in love with the messenger because he was so clever and so crafty with his words that he became their idol And he loved that he was their idol. That's the danger of closing our ears off to the message and seeing only the messenger. Now, you're probably wondering, how does that apply to me? How can that apply to me? Because I'm not going to stand in front of a crowd and declare a message for the sake of Jesus Christ. Well, listen to this. Think about who Peter was before he declared that message. Um, to the Jews, and 3,000 souls had given that gave their lives to the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 2, this is what he says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. No eloquence there. Simple message, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible with plausible words or wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Here's how this has to do with you. Paul is saying, I am willing to be a foolish in front of people if only Jesus Christ is, is, is presented and declared the message of the gospel. This applies to you in this way. You must be, we must be, anytime the Lord gives us an audience, whether it's a neighbor or two coworkers or our kids or whoever it would happen to be, you must be willing to look like a fool for the sake of Jesus Christ. When love leads, it's always, always, always about the message. It has nothing to do with the messenger. So that brings us to our second point, verse 2. When love doesn't lead, I declare a powerless message. So if I'm not approaching those that sit before me, with a love and a desire to see them understand the message of Jesus Christ, the message is powerless. Verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, 
but have not love, I am nothing. Paul, once again, is making a rhetorical statement. If I am able to do this, well, here's what we know. He did have prophetic powers. Paul did understand even the depths of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew that. He had knowledge, gifts of wisdom and knowledge. He had faith so much so that he was willing because of his relationship with Jesus Christ to take beating after beating, sent out of town, bitten by snakes, shipwrecked, and the list goes on and on for the misery he endured for the sake of the message of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is asking the rhetorical question, but if I do all I do, everything, the words that proceed from my mouth, even the gospel message itself, if I'm doing it and declaring it without love, it's nothing. So, all right, so the messenger makes himself too much of a big deal because he doesn't declare the message without love. Now, we're, now Todd, you're saying, okay, if I don't lead with love, even, even the message itself, I take power from the message itself. So what do you even mean when you say lead with love? The greatest commandments that are given, we can find in Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 to 40. Jesus was challenged by the the Pharisees. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, and he says, teacher, what or which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and the second commandment is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. If we're going to lead with love in the message we proclaim, if our desire is to not be a distraction, we must first understand that our love must be first and foremost for Jesus Christ himself, and then for those that he places in my life. My desire, my affections have to be for him and then you, never for me. We must count the spiritual well-being of others more significant than our own personal well-being. And sometimes that means we have to step in and declare hard truths when others are not willing to declare the hard truth. So we see Paul, he's like, I'm willing, to be, I'm willing to be a fool for the message because I don't want you to think too much of me. In Jeremiah chapter 29, this is one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture, you see Israel has been sent into captivity because of the rebellion and the rejection of God himself. And he's like, fine, I'm gonna send you into, I'm gonna send you into captivity. And so he does. And I imagine Israel sitting there like, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did I get here? And there were false prophets that were around saying, hey, listen, don't settle in. Don't unpack your bags because we're not going to be here for long. God's going to get us out of this. He's going to take us back to our homeland and we're going to restore things there and have life as we knew it. Jeremiah, because he loved God 
more than himself, and because he loved the people of Israel more than himself, was willing to step out and say, I'm going to tell you a truth that you do not want to hear. But God is telling me, don't listen to them. Don't listen to those false prophets. This is the truth that God is declaring to me. We are here because of our own sin, because of our rejection of him. And he is telling us, make your life here because you're going to be here for 70 years. 70 years. That's a, so that's an unpack your bags, make a living, have children here in Babylon because that's where you're going to be. That to me is one of the greatest. He is, Jeremiah is considered to be the weeping prophet because he was so sad for the plight and the state of his people. But he saw and understood God was calling him to declare hard truths to his people because they needed to hear it. Israel, let the truth humble you. You are here because of your sin. God has been just and he has brought this on us. Receive the hard truth. That's what it means to lead with love. God says, I want you to share it. And because of your love for him and obedience to him and your love for those around you, you do it. You do it. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says that we're supposed to speak the truth in love. I want to go back to last Sunday's baptisms. Brandon, Brandon, I don't know if you're here today, but Brandon's testimony was so, so, so good. This is it. This is it. The message means more to me. The message means more to his dad. I am willing right now with my son who's living a rebellious life to be in his words, my dad was the hammer and I was the nail because I needed to hear it. There are times where, as I closed the service last week, we need to approach others with a pillow because they can't handle the hammer. But there are often times where we need the hard truth to be spoken to us. When love leads, God sees and brings power to your message. When you're doing it because God wants you to and you love him, and because you see the, the, you see the state of those around you and your love is, is driving you to see them come, into relationship with Jesus Christ and to see your brothers and sisters grow. When love leads, he brings power to the message. When love doesn't leave, here's a third one. When love doesn't lead, I simply offer empty sacrifice. I offer empty sacrifice sacrifice. Look at verse three. If I give away everything I have, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, as we know, Paul gave up a whole lot. Once again, it's a rhetorical question because we know he did. If I give away all I have, it'd be something like this. All right. If I give away all I have and love isn't leave, leading, if, if I'm not doing it with love, this is what it would look like. I'm gaining nothing. So when I was in elementary school, everyone knows about standardized tests, right? You remember those? You fill in the little bubbles and then they determine based on your ability to fill in bubbles whether or not you could read or do math. 
I hated those tests. I think they're unfair. Even today, I think they are. Because there are guys like me that just see it, and you read the little thing, and then you answer the questions, and the little thing, you just get tired of reading, so you just start filling bubbles in. So if you're my age, you remember Title One. I think that was called Title One. So it was a special class for kids that couldn't read. I love to read, just not on a silly test. In fourth grade. So in fifth grade, I'm in Title One. In sixth grade, I'm in Title One because I didn't know how to read. At least that's what they thought. So it would be like me today saying, you know what? Because of that, the Lord has gifted me with $10 million, and I'm going to start the center, the Todd Hostetter Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good. Do you get the reference? Zoolander? He was a moron, and he wanted to start a center for kids who couldn't read good. That's what it would be like. A little more serious, William Shatner, if you're a Star Trek guy, William Shatner, Captain James Tiberius Kirk, is now 91 years old. And I just saw him in an article say, I can't live forever. I'm not going to live forever. And he was given a hard time because he did not go to um, Leonard Nimoy's funeral, who was Spock. He didn't go to his funeral, and people gave him such a hard time for it. And this is why he didn't. He's like, I'm old. I can't live forever. I made a commitment to this nonprofit organization, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remain true to my commitment because here's why. And he starts naming off multiple different stars, Hollywood stars. No one remembers them. He's like, no one's going to remember me. But what lives on is the sacrifice I make, my ability to give. So he's like, I made a commitment to this. I'm their main person, so I'm going to give. He understood, he saw, and he knew. But look, I'm going to pass away, and no one's going to remember me. But maybe one day my name will be on the side of a building that says something, because I want it to live on. I want people to see that my generosity lives on. If you do it without love, what Paul is saying right here doesn't matter. You're doing it for your name on the side of a building. Doesn't matter. And then he goes on to say, even if I deliver my body up to be burned, and if I do it without love, I gain nothing. Now, who's going to do that? Okay? You know what? I'm doing this selfishly. I'm going to throw myself into the flames. Why would you do that? Because you're dead. There's nothing to gain from whatever amazing sacrifice you thought that was. Let's say you did it. Well, let's just say this. Let's say you were one of Daniel's buddies. I need to look because I know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they are, what are their names? Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah. I even have it highlighted in blue and I couldn't find it. They were, they stood before the king. They were one of, they were, they were counselors for the king. And King Nebuchadnezzar had determined, I'm going to set up an idol to myself, which he did. And if you don't bow down to it, we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Now imagine, imagine those three guys saying, hey, all right, we're not going to bow down, but whatever. 
go ahead, throw us in there. And then it's not being led by love. They're not doing it because they love God. They're just doing it because, hey, look at us, Israel. Look at how tough we are. We've stood before the king, and now we're going to reject him. Throw us in there. I don't care. For what? Uh, you gain absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. But what did they do? They said, listen, because we love God more than you, And I wonder if they were even like, we're going to set a really wonderful example for the people of Israel. Do not bow down to this guy. Yeah, we were told we're going to have to live here for 70 years, but do not bow down to this guy. Love God. Love God. So what did they gain? They were thrown into the fire because they loved God. And they met Jesus in there. Remember? Three of them were thrown in. And King looks in and he says, hey, there are four in there. That's right. God went in and he met them there. What did they gain? Presence of the Lord in the midst of the fire. Pretty crazy. Pretty amazing. When love doesn't lead, I offer empty sacrifice. I can give away everything I have. I can, with great show, throw myself into the fire. If I'm doing it without love, I gain absolutely nothing. Listen, church. I hope it's your desire to have love lead in your life and absolutely everything you do in every relationship you have. That's my desire. If that's the case, I don't want anything to distract you from the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want the message of the gospel of Christ to be declared with great power and authority. I want every sacrificial heart move to be entrusted to Jesus Christ himself. Everything we do at Summit Church to point to the person of Jesus Christ. And then we entrust him whatever gain he determines we have. This is what I want, and I'm trusting it's what you want too, for yourself and for our church. And so then the next question is, how in the world do we do this? If we want our lives to be identified by love, how do we do this? Here's the first thing we absolutely have to do. We must first and foremost accept that we are loved by God himself. We are loved by God himself. John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay his life down for his friends. And so you are. Jesus goes on to say, you are my friend. And what did he do? A short time after making that statement to his disciples, he laid his life down for his friends and he lays his life down for you. If you're going to have love lead in your life, you first must, must accept the truth that you are loved by God so desperately. 1 John 4.10 says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He's the one, because he loved us first, he expressed it to us through the cross, he took on the very judgment from God the Father that you and I deserve, and he bore it on the cross. And he dealt with it there. Why? Because he loves you. If you're going to be led by love, you must first accept that you are loved. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says it this way. See what kind of love the Father has given. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. 
The one who accepts the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he did and he is alive today and that he has gifted us with his Holy Spirit when you believe that truth, so you are a child of God. If you're going to be led by love, you must first accept that you are loved. And here's the second one. Pray, pray, pray. I can't, I can't, I can't understand the love of God the Father so much that he would send his son to suffer the way he did. Okay? Imagine the affection, the affection that God the Father must have had for Jesus Christ, has for Jesus Christ. You parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Imagine sending one of your children to suffer terribly for people that hate you. The affection that God the Father has for his son. The affection that God the Father has for you. We, and, and, and if we want to be compelled to love like that, we must pray to God, change my heart and make my love and affection be for you and you alone. I have been praying that for years. Lord, stir in me my love and affection for you. Yes, I can control the way I act, You've given me the capacity to do that, but I cannot change my heart. I cannot make my heart want something it doesn't want because it's flesh. Lord, please stir in me my love and affection for you. First, accept that you are loved, and then pray that the Lord would stir in you your love and affection for him, and then look for the love of Christ in everything, in every area of your life. You must look for the love of Christ because when you see him loving you, my goodness, how that motivates us to let love lead us into everything. I I ask for permission to share this testimony. I know a guy, I know a guy who called me one day just desperate, desperate, because his wife ran out on him. And in the most spectacular way. She was halfway around the planet, going to school, and she said, Hey, there's another school, language school, that I'd like to go to, but it wasn't there. It was at another place on the other side of the planet. And she said, Would you change my airfare so that I could go down there and be a part of that language school? I want to check it out. He said, Sure. So he changed it. Goes down there, doesn't hear from her, doesn't hear from her, doesn't hear from her. He tries to call, tries to call, tries to call. He finally gets her to answer and he says, what's going on? Are you fooling around? She said, I am. She said, I am. With a man half her age. And he's like, Todd, what am I supposed to do? And I said, well, does she want to come home? He said, yeah. And I said, well, then let her come home. He said, you're telling me I need to change her airfare to bring? I said, yeah. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. That's love. Led by love. That's what love would do. He's like, all right, but, but do you know anyone that could pick her up at the airport? I said, yeah. I know, I know someone that can pick her up at the airport. I said, you pick her up. She wants to come home. And he's like, I said, it's like a 47-minute drive to the airport, isn't it? And he said, no, it's 52. 
he had already checked to see, how long am I going to have to sit in the car with this woman that just fooled around on me? How long am I going to have to sit in that car with her all the way home? Do you have a place for her to stay? And I said, yep. In your house. She wants to come home, right? He's like, I can't take this. I can't take this. So here's what the Lord impressed on us both in that absolute moment. This is looking for the love of Christ. I can't, I can't get this. He said, the Lord dropped it on the floor and he said, when you're driving to the airport to pick up your wife that did this to you, here's what I want you to remember. How many times do you ask me, Jesus is saying, how many times do you ask me to pick you up at the airport. Church, we do it many times throughout the day. Lord, you need to come and pick me up at the airport because I cheated on you again, over and over. If you want the Lord to stir in you your love and affection for him so that you are led by love in everything you do, you look for how Jesus loves you every moment of the day. And I guarantee you, he's going to answer your prayer. He is, you, he is going to become such a big deal to you that you're willing to be a fool for him. Church, let's be led by the love of Christ. Father, I can't, I can't imagine. I can't imagine your sacrifice for us. Lord, shame on us. Forgive us for the times where we love ourselves more than you and more than others. Lord, do a mighty work in our hearts and may we each, Lord, look for ways to express your love, point others to you, and may your love lead us in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.